Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Longhorn live stream right here on On Texas Football. I'm your host, Blake Monroe, where I'm joined by Bobby Burton and Rod Babers. And guys, whew, it's been a whirlwind <laughs> of, a, of a past day or two. I mean, I don't know even how to describe it, but we, you know, we've talked about that quite a bit. Let's talk about something different right out of the gate, and that's the our, the All-American Bowl here, and look at this. Trey Owens, top, day one, top performers there at the very top for the West. What's y'all's take on that? I'm going to let Rod speak to this because he's been kind of he's, – he's interviewed Trey a couple times and has talked about traits that yeah. Trey has. Uh, this is a – if you got a chance to watch, go, go watch some film of what happened today. Rod, tell folks what you like about Trey Owens and, uh, you know, Number one performer in an all-star game setting is pretty pretty strong stuff. Uh, there's no doubt. I mean, when, when Sark describes the traits that he looks for in a quarterback, uh, there's some that are you know, immeasurables, kind of the intangibles, and there are some obviously that are more tangible. Uh, he talks about the, the, the immeasurables. He talks about leadership um, and competitiveness. And this young man, Trey Owens, has got that in space. He's, his com- his competitive uh, sickness, as I call it, I mean, it is uh, it, it is on next level. I mean, that's why he was a part of a team that ended up beating Katie. I'm from H Town. All right, you don't beat Katie in the playoffs very often. That just don't happen. Right? Uh, it, that's always an upset. Uh, you can do that over a team when you know you you got great leadership, right? And he was a great leader. He took pride in that win. He uh, he said I, I, we asked him about. It, he said I didn't. Uh, it wasn't my best game that I've ever played, he said, but I think it's my best win. Oh, that just, it got me all in the feels. <laughs> right? uh, not my my best game, but my best win. He's thinking about big wins. Uh, so I love that about him. He's got great football character. We talked about uh, this team and how Sark is starting to recruit some of those traits. But on the field, uh, he's got some also some things that Sark likes. Sark likes quick hands. He talks about that. Uh, and that's basically because so he wants uh, quarterbacks to translate to the RPO passing game. That's the quick hands, being able to throw off platform, being able to throw from different angles. Uh, he can do that. But the the elite qualities in this game, I always want to identify the X-man qualities in a quarterback. X-man qualities is basically your, what's your superhuman ability? What do you do as well, if not better, than every other quarterback I've ever seen? And for Trey Owens, I love his touch. He's got touch. I, I even asked him straight up, man, have you, have, you, have you ever let it loose on a throw? Like you remember just letting it loose because uh, on on all of the, the 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 you know the film that you watch on the young man, he puts just enough on it, and he has such a catchable ball. This is something that I heard the Washington receivers talk about with Michael Penix, a catchable ball. It's weird, and it's crazy. I've heard that term a few times. Major Applewhite was a quarterback that players would talk about that has a catchable ball. feel like you can come out of the stands and catch major off white football, don't it? <laughs> he put just enough on it that he needed to. Uh, maybe that was because he was limited in arm strength, but that's not Trey Owens. That's because he's got great touch with the football. I love his deep ball. Sark wants to throw the deep ball more getting back to Washington. I think I even said he's envious of that Washington office because they throw the football deep and, and vertical so much. Uh, he can throw the ball deep. He has a great natural deep ball. I think Sark likes that a part of his game too. Uh, and also what I love about his game is accuracy. I mean, that's, and also that's, that's the other trait that Sark said he looks for. In addition to quick hands, he looks for accurate quarterbacks, uh, guys that can put the, put the ball 
on on the money so that and start causing this run to daylight philosophy. He wants wide receivers to be able to catch the ball on the move and be able to get them yak yards, yak daddies. And he's a quarterback that can deliver the yak daddies for him, almost like a a, a point guard in the NBA providing assists, getting you the football on the move. And that's that's ideally what what Sark wants. That's why he recruits his quarterbacks with those kind of traits. So I, I love Trey Owens. And Sark was on him early. Sark was on him early. He's he just became the best. Uh, offensive player in the city of Houston, which is one of the, the most fertile recruiting grounds in the country. Uh, and he, he was declared the touchdown club's offensive player of the year. And, you know, this year he, you know, they upset Katie in the playoffs. He is starting to ascend. Sark was on him before he started to, to rise or at least get more acclaim uh, on a regional uh, level. He was already doing the same. So I ain't disrespecting Trey Owens in that matter. All right, guys, we, uh, Looking here, and it appears that Xavier Worthy has just declared for the draft. And I am going to put this up here real quick. And he posted this on Instagram. <laughs> As that is mama. That's mama, right? Yep. Hey, what I tell you, Bobby? When mom, remember his mama said something about that. His mama hinted at that. Mama, no. If mama said it, it's happening. <laughs> he he all he going, but mama, mama didn't let the cat out the bag. Mama say he going, he going. It's mama, man. You, my, you, mama the same way in recruiting. What mama say? Mama say he going here. Well, I think he going there. That's what mama said. That mama, mama says whatever mama says holds a lot of weight. Mama said that a while ago. Well, the next one. Here's the the thought. I mean, we all expected this, right, Rod and Blake. Yep. Yeah. Um, the question I have is, who's next? Uh, Jatavian Sanders. Uh, we know Byron Murphy has accepted an invite to play in the Senior Bowl, so you'd think he's gone for sure, right? Uh, but uh, JT Sanders and Jonathan Brooks, uh, kind of the uh, – uh, it's on you now, right? Uh, that's that's what's next. Uh, Xavier Worthy, I, I did want to check this. Uh, went over 1,000 yards for the season last night, even though he only got uh, two catches last night. He's now at 1,014 uh, yards for the season with 75 receptions. Uh, had uh, five TDs this season, nine a year ago, and 12 as a true freshman. So his TD production went down uh, over his career. But I think that this year with uh, A.D. Mitchell having 11 touchdowns, just found a guy that's better probably closer to the end zone uh, and making that. But uh, he had his career high in catches at 75, averaged uh, 13.5 yards per catch. Uh, Big loss in so many ways, but an expected one. Uh, for the Longhorns. Yeah. Um, and Xavier Worthy, um, you know, he's a Sark special, right? I'm going to actually do something on this. Maybe on in football theory we can do it, or maybe on one of our live streams, because the research is already done. Um, Sark is one of the, the pioneers in the NFL at weaponizing these small, slight-ish receivers and turning them into high-level receivers and, all, and almost providing NFL – uh, scouts, NFL coaches who didn't really like these kind of receivers. That's kind of what my research has proven that that has now shifted, uh, you know, investing in these small ish receivers higher up in the draft, uh, like, like Xavier worthy with their speed demons. And they're really, really skilled. Sark has provided a blueprint on how to use them. So I think a lot of the NFL scouts, NFL coaches, they didn't, they didn't know how to really use these little guys. Like, man, in the NFL, they're going to get beat up. 
is once they guys play press on them and get their hands on them, they're going to jam them up at the line and they'll, you know, they'll never see the light of day. They, in college, they can, you know, that, that, that game translate, but maybe not to the NFL. And Sark actually, because you see a lot of the concepts from college trickling up to the NFL, there are no longer NFL offenses, pro style offenses, and college, college, uh, NFL, college offenses. They're all the same now. They're running the same concepts. And Sark has provided kind of a blueprint on with Devontae Smith how to use these little small guys, <laughs> how to get them the ball on the move, targets to motion, um, get them in the slot, move them around. And I think it actually has helped, you know, their those draft those guys trying to draft stock, but also those types of receivers. So they don't necessarily have to uh, either lose draft uh, value because they're small and slight ish uh, or necessarily necessarily don't find a home in the league because teams don't know how to utilize them. Hey, Rod, you're you're a big, uh, you know, mock draft guy I haven't oh, lately, but but where, where are you seeing? Worthy, you know, being mocked to the most at this point. Uh, it's interesting because he's always at the kind of the bottom of the first round. Um, and sometimes you'll see him at the top of the second round in those mocks. Now, these mocks are way too early because you haven't even done the workouts and you haven't done the interviews and all that kind of stuff. So that's that's the scouting season, which we're about to uh, become. Uh, we're about to get on the, on the cusp of being on the scouting season here in a second. But either way, I do think he's going to potentially when he runs – he's going to be a guy that can break into the first round. And if not, he's going to be a steal for somebody in that second round. They're going to see him as a diamond in the rough, a guy that had first round potential talent, uh, but end up dropping in the second round uh, for other reasons, whatever it may be. There's going to be a run on wide receivers early in this draft because there are a lot of them. It's a deep wide receiver draft. They say that every damn year. And I my, that, my theory is there's a you – know, Basically, wide receiver is the deepest position in football at every level. <laughs> and you know, we we you know we were talking to uh, you know the the, the coaches uh, the other day, Coach Flight, um, and uh, the wide receiver coach, as well, yeah. Coach, and we asked him about it, and he was like, "Oh yeah, it's really deep." I tell some of these guys to move to DB. Now you need to move over to defense. All right, wide receiver a little crowded right now, man. You need to move over to defense. So I think for that reason his stock could drop just because there's so many really good wide receivers out there. And I don't know where he'll land in that kind of hierarchy of wide receivers, but when he runs and I don't know if he's going to run at the combine or if he's going to run, you know, obviously at Texas where he's going to decide to run. Um, he may run at both of them. I think that's what he'll impress. And that's where he'll have some kind of eye popping uh, data points in his evaluation. He was clocked this year as the fastest player in college football uh, via real analytics where they they track in game uh, ball carrier speeds. Uh, they got their uh, real time data that they they track players uh, and they tracked him as the fastest player in college football this season. He's going to turn some and that's what Sark likes about those guys. So he's going to turn some heads. I, I think he'll be a second round guy. I think that's the grade on him. Um, but if there's a run on wide receivers early, um, and you want to be drafted at the in the late in the first round right there or Hell, potentially in, in the second round where teams are going to move up. Teams like Kansas City, who's got the worst wide receiving core in the league right now with the best quarterback. You better pray that Kansas City and and, and Andy Reid like you, which, by the way, they like those kind of receivers. They do. They like small-ish receivers. They've had a few of those uh, speedy guys, speed demons on their roster. I could see Andy Reid decide, hey, man, if he's in the second round, we can trade up to go get that guy. So I, I the system you end up in in the NFL – it really does play a huge role 
in your success and your future prospects in the league. And I think if he ends up in the right system, I think you can see Xavier Worthy have, you know, a really good NFL career. If he ends up in the wrong system, you can see him have an average NFL career. How about it, the Miami Dolphins? Why don't they Ooh. just keep, why don't they just keep yeah. adding more elite speed everywhere? That's good. I mean, because That's a good one. I, you know, I feel like Worthy is one of those guys that might get a little extra, um, what I would say, just they might get a little nudge in their ranking or in their where they're picked because he is he has one outstanding trait, one. And that's he, he is absolutely can fly, right? Now, that doesn't mean he's also not a good pass catcher. I mean, his, his hands, by the way, improved tremendously this year. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Last year he had had uh, some uh, problems with the, with one of his hands, but he improved year over year without question. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that teams rolled their coverages to him more and more this year. Uh, he got a lot more double teams, and that freed up Ad Mitchell. All in all, um, I, I hope I wish the best for him. I think that it was touch and go for a little while at Texas for him. He didn't come in the most mature guy. But you know what? He kept his nose clean for three years, played hard for Steve Sarkeesian and the Longhorns, in my opinion, played injured. And he still doesn't get enough credit for that, Rod. I, I, I know. Oh, he, he drops the ball. Yeah. He played through it for his team. They didn't have a second receiver last year other than yeah. Jordan Clayton. So I, I'm with you on that. It's a good point. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to give that guy credit. He's tougher than what people realize. Um, and so I'm, I'm all about it. Uh, one other thing I want to say, uh, we were talking about Trey Owens just a minute ago, guys. Uh, he is at the All-American Bowl down in San Antonio. C.J. Vogel is going to that practice tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. Uh, we're going to do the recruiting breakdown uh, after he gets to San Antonio tomorrow. Uh, and he meets, he's not only Trey Owens. There's another late-breaking little development, by the way, as far as this is concerned. Trey Owens, Ryan Wingo, the wide receiver from St. Louis, and Michael Kern, the punter, out of St. Thomas Aquinas are the three guys that are there for Texas. Well, linebacker Ty Anthony Smith out of Jasper was a late add to the roster. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll get to see him in practice as well uh, tomorrow. So uh, good stuff there. Four guys at the four guys at the uh, All-American game in San Antonio, seven guys for Texas, uh, seven of their 23 signees at the uh, All-American game, Under Armour All-American game in Orlando as well. That game, by the way, uh, is tomorrow, I believe, tomorrow afternoon or evening. I'll have to get I get, have to get that checked. Uh, but uh, a lot of a lot of stuff going on there in the high school ranks as, as well. Well, Bobby, some other news that Longhorn fans are wanting to know about is a linebacker coach update. And then oh. Merrill says, "Any more news on Johnny Nansen, the linebacker coach?" You know, I, I, it's my understanding he's been offered that job uh, at Texas. Uh, I talked oh. with a, a source at Arizona. Uh, on, I guess it was Saturday. Um, he is, he is headed back. He was headed back to Hawaii for the holidays. Uh, he's originally from American Samoa, but his wife was from Hawaii. They were going to see, uh, his, uh, his parents or her parents, excuse me, in Hawaii and family. Uh, they were going back there. Uh, I would expect a decision of some sort, uh, in the next week. Uh, most likely, I think that they were waiting for Texas for sure to get out of the bowl game. Jeff Choate, Uh, to be able to go on and take the head job at Nevada and actually move out. Uh, So now we'll, we'll focus on that and see if he is who gets that job. The one thing I would say is a, a Arizona really had a, 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 
a good run this year. And they've got a lot of guys coming back on defense. So that could be a sticking point right now. Uh, and then B, uh, he is the play caller at Arizona. I don't think he would move to Texas uh, and be the play caller. Pete Kwiatkowski has that job secured. And I want to say one, one more thing. He was actually, I mean, Johnny Nansen and, and Pete Sar uh, Steve Sarkeesian go back quite a ways. So does he and, and John uh, Jeff Banks. Uh, Nansen was actually at Texas visiting this spring uh, on the sideline, watching practice, uh, talking to the coaches as well, because uh, he knows Sark and those guys so well. And college coaches, as you know, Rod and Blake, they go other other places to pick stuff up. Nansen went to Texas this past spring as part of his uh, deal there. So he also has a daughter that helps in the event staff at the University of Texas as well. So wow, that's a lot of connections. Yeah, a lot of connections. That's right. <laughs> All right, Bobby. One other thing that we wanted to ask you about this from KD35. I am the best. He says, I'm seeing smoke of five-star defensive back Julian Humphrey out of Georgia entering the portal, potentially wanting to come back closer mm -hmm. to home. The Georgia dog sites are saying to watch Texas in this one. Have you heard anything regarding that? I have not. I, I will I will say this. Texas did not, whether he's five-star or whatever, Texas did not push for Julian Humphrey out of high school. Okay, they, they didn't. That wasn't the guy that they went after. Um, and he would have been interested, very interested in Texas. Um, he has not played a bunch for Georgia. I think he played three games as a true freshman and then nine games this year, but was not a starter and wasn't in line to be a starter. Um, I don't know that he's a guy that Texas will go after from a playing perspective. I think that may be a little bit more on his side at this point than it is on, on Texas's side. There you go. All right, Rod, I got a question for you. Well, Daniel Wee has a question for you. I'll go back to the Xavier Worthy conversation for a minute. He says, given that Xavier is already thought of as the fastest receiver in the draft, is there any reason whatsoever to run the 40? It seems like there's no way to go but down. What would he need to run to impress? A 4.2? That's a great question, Daniel. And honestly, I was talking about this last season with a, uh, a friend of mine that's a scout. And the conversation basically went to, since they have this real-time data, you're talking about digital times, you know, electronic times, whether you're talking about the actual, um, they have monitors sometimes on the players, but now they have the ability to track it with, with AI and artificial intelligence to find out how fast guys are running on the field with different algorithms. They can do a lot of different stuff. It's, you know, they're smarter than I am. There are a lot of different ways now to determine how fast a guy's running actually on the football field with the football in their hands, with pads on, helmets on against other competition. You actually now have that ability. The 40-yard dash is now just a show. The NFL don't want you to know that because it is, it is for the combine, it's their main event of the combine. So they don't want you to know that actually the NFL scouts don't need it. There are a lot of coaches don't even go to the combine anymore, guys. They just kind of send their they send their assistants there. They send there's like, now nah, I'm not I'm not gonna bother. I'll go up for a day or so, but I'm not going to watch the the underworld Olympics. I got I watched the film and I have scouts that can provide me real time data and I know how fast these guys are running. Trey, I believe it was Trey Lance, famously. Like, Lamar Jackson didn't run the forty, famously. Remember, Lamar Jackson decided he didn't run the run the forty. Quarterbacks have the ability to do it because they have so much clout. So they can go there and be like, man, I ain't running the 40. And it only, you know, it, it only, it could only hurt them, as Daniel was just mentioning. And I think for 
you know, for X-Men, depending on how they want to play it, you could just use the real-time analytical data that's out there that has you tracked as the fastest player in college football. You could use what Texas has already on you because Texas has timed that stuff too. They do it in practice. They time that kind of stuff. They time these guys in practice. Not timing, but they have, like I said, the monitors and they have the, the capability and technology to find out how fast they're running in practice. You hear the guys bragging about it all the time. Jay Witt on social media or Rojo, like, oh, man, I'm faster than this guy. Look how fast I am. I run this, you know, 22 miles per hour. So they have the data and they share the data. So my, it's out there. It's real. And we know that it can be, uh, you know, it's credible and it's something that can be confirmed. It's almost like track times, right? And Sark loves track times because it confirms speed of these guys, whether it be track times from eighth grade or 10th grade, you know, okay, this guy actually has real speed. There's no need for the 40. At one point, one day, we'll get to the point where I don't know if they'll even run 40s for big-time elite players who are going to be drafted in the first and the second round. Because they'll just use, like I said, the real the data that they already have. Um, but for scrubs like Rod B, jabronis like Rod B, Jags like me, I got to go earn it. So I got to probably go out there in the Underwear Olympics in my draws and run a faux faux. All right. That's the, hey, some guys got to earn the hard way. But I think I think the future is elite prospects. Honestly, like you, Dan, you're talking about like an X-Man. They could decide, no, nah, man, y'all know how fast I am. Trey Lance did it. Uh, Trey Lance didn't run a 40 because he literally told them um, you have my GPS like you have my GPS speed on the field with the ball in my hands. And now we actually isn't it crazy, guys. We actually have a way to track football speed. Something that's been a mystery it. forever, and they don't want to do it though, Bobby. They don't even want to. Do it. They still want to go with their with their stopwatch in their hand at the finish <laughs> line. All right, and they're like, go, and they still want the they still want the stopwatch time, even though there's a digitized time. All right, electronic time at the combine. You'll still see coaches with their own stopwatch going. Well, my time was a was a faux faux. To hell with your time. There's a digital time there. What are you What are you doing? Rod, I got one one reason why that's valuable. There, those watches are that fully automated automated time is the same as the guy twenty years ago that they didn't have that data on, so they can actually extrapolate what is twenty two miles an hour. Is it a four three? Is it a four two? And, and the other thing I want to say this I, I don't know how much y'all know about this, but you know, offensive linemen and defensive linemen. They don't really care about 40-yard dashes either. They care about 10-yard dash. Mm-hmm, exactly. That's what exactly that's what matters. Offensive line and defensive line. I, I, I learned that 25 years ago. They they literally t- they clock them at the 10-yard spot. They don't, I mean, does it really matter if a defensive tackle runs a 40-yard dash? Not really. <laughs> right? It's fun to watch, though. It's fun. I, I agree. <laughs> um, offensive linemen, one of the things they love to see is the the 5-10-5 shuttle. Yeah, I mean, that's that's huge for them because it gives them a sense of whether or not they can, you know, move and pass protection as well. But yeah, I mean, 40 yard dash is not functional speed. We all know that. But it's fun to give you a marker from historical perspective. Deion Sanders or to whatever. Well, we never had a catapult device, a wearable device on him, really. So that's the only way they can can compare speed over a decade or two, Rod. Yeah, now Bo, Bo Jackson ran a four one three, but and that was like I think that was I believe that was electronic time. Uh, I'm not mistaken. He said he ran a three something. So Bo Bo's been known to 
It was three unofficial. He said it was three unofficial. (laughs) He's been known to have a little hyperbole behind him. There were witnesses to it, though. He said there was a whole room of scouts at Auburn and witnesses. He claims. Uh, no, nobody disputes Bo. Who gonna argue with Bo Jackson? Uh, not me. Yeah, <laughs> out there, I, you know what I'm saying. I just—he's been known to to to, you know, be his yeah. own best. Uh, yeah. best that's Bo knows. That helped you for a little while there too, though. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, we got a couple more questions regarding the draft. Then we'll move on here. This one from David Rawls. He says, "Did Christian Jones drop?" in the draft after last night. Obviously still early, like you said, Rod. You know, lots of things left to happen before the draft. But do y'all think last night's game may have affected his draft order any? It's a deep O-line draft, too, actually. I'll have to pull up the Daniel Jeremiah tweet that I read. I believe I believe it was Daniel Jeremiah. He does his draft analysis. It's a deep O-line draft. I think it's always a deep wide receiver draft. So that, if it is a deep O-line draft, it will indeed, that will drop his stock alone. And I think Christian Jones actually has performed pretty well for most of the season. Guys, Braylon Trice is a dog. Braylon, I repeat, he's a dog. Let me me get my notes real quick. (laughs) Braylon Trice, guys, let's think about this for a second, right? Think about the first round NFL. We said we talked about the draft. First round NFL edge rushers Texas played last season, last couple of years. They can draft it. Will Anderson. Uh, Tyree Wilson's in that conversation. Will McDonald, Felix Inudiki Uzoma. Actually, Dallas Turner is projected. He's another edge rusher from Bama. He's projected to be a first rounder coming out uh, this season. He already uh, declared for the NFL draft. Who knows if he'll be drafted in the first round? But none of those guys, right? None of those guys have had any Huh? Tyree Wilson, too, the guy from Tech. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. He was what, top 10? Was he top 10? Yeah, he was the first one picked. None of those guys have had the performance versus Texas that Braylon Trice had. First of all, in the Alamo Bowl, he had two sacks, two tackles for loss, six tackles. There was more sacks than all of those edge rushers that I just mentioned combined. All right? More tackles for loss than all of them. It was tied for the most tackles. I think in uh, Uzoma had six tackles when Texas played them. And this season, where did he get in the game, guys? Did he have two sacks in the game? One forced fumble? A tackle for loss. What do you mean? He was he was a man amongst boys. Texas. They knew going into the game he was the only war daddy on that defensive front you had to stop. I'm sure they had a plan for him because they're not irresponsible coaches. But the plan didn't work. He's that. He's good. He's the other of all the edge rushers Texas play in Texas offensive line is pretty good, Bobby. He's the he's the he's the been the most productive one by far and ain't even close. C.J. Vogel came up with an unbelievable stat. Remember how CJ uh, this morning on coffee and football, remember how we were talking and CJ would say, Kelvin Banks and Christian Jones are, are the two most important players. Whoever draws Braylon Trice. Yeah. Um, CJ Vogel came up with this stat last night. Washington was uh, given 14 QB pressures. Braylon Trice had eight of them. <laughs> not, not, a, not a single other Washington player had more than one. There you so go. Trice had eight, and six other uh, Washington players had one. That's great. That's that's a that's a great stat. It just yeah, <laughs> I mean, puts it all in perspective. Who's my password? Where's my pass rush? Oh, it's him. That I guy. Just have one player that's my pass rush. That guy. And they moved him around, guys. They yep. moved him around. There were times they put him in the a gap. 
lining up there, the double barrel blitz. They moved them around the front. They used a lot of those, uh, the ghost fronts, amoeba fronts that I've talked about and simulated pressures because Texas wasn't third and long. Good Lord, I think Texas wasn't third and long with 54% of their third downs were third and longs, unfortunately, which is way too high. Uh, but I digress. Braylon Trice is the real deal. So, yes, Christian Jones may have struggled versus Braylon Trice, but – Man, every t- every everybody struggled versus Brandon Trice. He led the, the country in pressures the last two years. That guy's a dog. He if he's not drafted in the first round, somebody's gonna get a steal in the second round. I guarantee he's one of them to. And by the way, here's another stat for you about Braylon Trice. And we we're talking about him because I saw this um, today and it, it, it amazed me. Um, Pro Football Focus, I believe he led uh, defensive linemen in snaps this year. He never left the damn field. He had 750 snaps. He led all defensive linemen in all of college football, guys. He didn't leave the field. He's getting that kind of productivity on the field with that type of energy level and effort and not leaving the field. Texas best players, I love them. They're great. They got to leave the field. They got to get rest. They got to rest up. That dude don't leave the field. He's like, I'm a dog, and I will stay out here the whole damn time. Man, come on now. He's a beast. Dude's a, dude's a beast. There you go right there. Braylon Price versus Texas. Two sacks, eight pressures, four stops, and one forced fumble. Wow. Yeah. That ain't on Christian Jones, man. That dude's different. That's like saying Texas uh, DBs are trash. Nah, man. Michael Penn is built different. I think we all saw that. We got playing that, that good on the stage that big. And he just made him. He just basically turned himself into the third best quarterback in the draft. He'll be drafted the third, uh, third behind Drake May and Caleb Williams. And honestly, I guarantee there's some NFL scouts thinking right now. First of all, they're upset with him right now because they thought they was gonna get a steal in the draft. All right? They're like, man, I'm getting this dude in the middle, of the late round. It's gonna be great. No, now nah, it's not gonna happen anymore. He's gonna be drafted in the top five, top ten. Um, but I guarantee there are some scouts that like him better than they like either Drake May or Caleb Williams. I guarantee there are some that like him more. I guarantee. Uh, Michael wants to know where was Sweat last night? Uh, you know he made uh, he helped on the on the uh, the the fourth and one and third one stops. So I mean he wasn't just out to lunch. But look, it, it was pretty clear they didn't have much of a chance to get to him to get to the quarterback. I mean, Byron Murphy made a whale of a move, split two defend or two offensive guys, had Michael Penix dead to rights, and Michael Penix made him look like, you know, nobody's business and whips off a ball for a 20-yard game. I mean, that stuff pe- people don't do that stuff. You know, that that's not normal. He had a, a, an unbelievable game. Uh, I, I think that that's a, a fair assessment for Michael Penix. Uh, just uh, just a, a tremendous game. At one time, he was 21 of 24. Um, and Texas tried to get him off his spot, tried to do, do things about him. They blitzed him. They dropped eight. They rushed five. I mean, they did everything. They did. It didn't – it did not phase him. It didn't matter. And, I mean, he, he made some money throws when it counted, too. I mean, absolutely. I mean, that one, the Adunze in the – fourth quarter was just ridiculous. Man. I was going to say, yeah, which one? <laughs> the one that he hit, literally, he, even, I, he goes, I want to hit you upfield on this chest with the defenders <laughs> trailing behind you. Yeah, That's what I think he did. Yeah. Now, no. um, I, was, I was really impressed with him. 
I was impressed with uh, Washington's wide receivers as well, their offensive yeah. line generally. I was not impressed with the Washington defense, which, you know, leads me to believe Texas would have liked to have scored more than 31 points. And makes me think that Michigan, I think Michigan now is, a, they opened as a five-point favorite over Washington. Mm -hmm. I think that that could get a situation where Michael Penix has to throw the ball and doesn't have a controlled setting, kind of. I think that game could could get ugly potentially, potentially if they don't have the the lead on them. Um, I I like the matchup because I think it's the I think it's the best overall offense in college football. We're talking about the best O line. You just talked about the wide receiving core. Is there a better wide receiving core in college football? If there's one, I'd like to see it. I don't. I mean, I know LSU's got a really good one. Missouri's got a really good one. Texas has a really good one. I don't think it's as good as Washington's wide receiving core. And then you got the quarterback. I mean, other than tight end which is not a weakness on the team. Uh, now with Dylan Johnson being hurt, maybe that's an issue for him, but you won't find a better offense in college football. And with Michigan, you could argue you won't find a better defense in college football. So that's why I kind of I, you know, I like the matchup and the way it works out. Real quick, another stat before we move on, because you just brought the wide receivers to Washington. It reminded me of this stat. <laughs> um, the Washington wide receivers, the top four wide receivers of Washington were targeted 20 times. That's Romo Dunze, Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan. And Bernard targeted 20 times and they had 19 catches total. Wow. 95% <laughs> completion rate to his wide receivers. It's crazy. Uh, he's just an average quarterback. Nah, man. He's dealing with <laughs> Rod, those weren't easy throws either, man. Yeah. They were outside for the most part, they're outside the hash. I mean, they yeah. didn't, you said this last night. They didn't pick. On the D, they didn't pick on the safeties, they picked they on the corners. They just said Penix and our receivers are better than your guys, and they were right. They were I, right, yeah. I the, the corners are the strength in terms of coverage in your uh back end, and you're right, they they came after the corners. I actually can't even remember many times where they went after the safeties, they <laughs> they went after uh Ryan Watts and Terrence Brooks. Um, they even there's some plays where they went after Jade Barron. With the tight end, they were—I <laughs> mean, that, that's how—that's how much of a zone the quarterback was in. Malik Muhammad probably was the best overall in coverage. He had that play; we almost made it. They just—they—they they formationally stressed him a little too too much, and he couldn't quite make the play. But he did get his hands on the football, popped it up in the air, and they still end up uh, making the touchdown reception. Um, but the, he might end up being your best cover corner when it's all said and done. They just they they exposed the lack of coverage specialists in the secondary for Texas, even at the cornerback position. I love Ryan Watts. Ryan Watts is a good football player. I've been saying this forever. Just just because you're not a coverage specialist doesn't make you a, a bad football player. I was actually a great coverage specialist, but I don't think I was a great football player. I was a great football player would have finished some of the plays that I didn't finish, right? But I was a I had Bobby. You talking about that elite trait? I had an elite trait. I can just cover man to man. I can do it pretty well. I can do it really well at, at an all American level and you know i think for these guys these guys are really good players all conference caliber players potentially but just because that just because you are that doesn't mean you're a coverage specialist and they just don't have a lot of those guys ryan watts is a good player but he's not a coverage specialist none of the safeties are except Derek williams uh you know and even at the corner position malik muhammad is probably the best cover corner in terrence brooks um and even the even terrence brooks we saw got exposed um you know it's because of they were just better. I mean, I'm not saying he's not a good player. I love me some Terrence Brooks, but those guys, those are three NFL wide receivers, period. Yeah. 
right, guys, we got a couple of super chats that we need to get to. This first one here from Kevin Jones. He says, does the poor showing in the game affect recruits from decommitting to Texas? Bobby? No, not at all. This Look, Texas didn't lose 63-3. to They didn't lose. Or what was the score last year in the college football final with TCU? Oh, that was uh, the record. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it didn't. This this wasn't a situation like that. I mean, Texas just lost a tight game. They were throwing into end zone to win the ball game. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I don't think they're going to lose anybody. They could lose someone like KJ Lacey, but it won't be because Texas lost in the college football playoffs. It'll be because KJ Lacey sees that Arch Manning is going to be a year later than maybe what he thought going to the getting to the field, and that affects when KJ Lacey might get to the field. So it, it won't be because they lost this game. There's 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 very little chance of that. Hi guys, this next super chat is from Dartboard, and Dartboard says I can use a pick me up after yesterday. Is there another Nathan Basher or Quentin Jammer <laughs> waiting in the wings for next season? There needs to be. We Rod Ooh. and I were just talking about this prior to going on air. Rod, you think they need to find one piece? There's one most important piece to the secondary. And it's going to yeah. be food. Tell tell people what we were telling me prior prior to going live here. Yeah, I think they got to figure out the nickel position after today. Baron leaves. I think it's a crucial uh, position in PK's defense. I think it's really important. Um, we saw Jade Barron's presence and how important it was. And you go look at look back at the lineage of the nickel position here at Texas in in, hell, in the last twenty years since Rod B was playing on the on the Forty Acres. Most of those guys who played the nickel position at Texas who've been able to play that job at a, and, and perform at a high level uh, at that position, they have an NFL skill set, a Sunday skill set, because uh, it takes that to be able to perform at that uh, that position because you have to be, you know, a, a run suffer at times. You got to take on blocks. You got to play in the box as a, a force run defender. You got to play man to man. And sometimes you got to do it in the slot against some of the best wide receivers, if not their best wide receiver with a two way go, drop back in zone. Uh, you know, sometimes you're going to be blitzing. You got to time that out really right. I mean, they just have such a, they have to have such an overall well rounded, expansive skill set that it lends itself to being a guy that can play on Sundays. Um, Jade Barron is that guy that can play on Sundays. I mean, he fits that mode. Um, I'm trying to see who they have right now that have, has the, a Sunday skill set potentially that could play nickel for him. Because they don't have someone who has that expansive skill set that we're talking about. Um, I think they could struggle there. That can be a real uh, point of <clears throat> point of excuse me a point of vulnerability for Texas going forward. Um, hey, I, I will just say this. Uh, one thing that we do know, Jelani McDonald, who started off at Star, has now moved officially to safety. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So he's working at safety. Austin Jordan and Jalen Gilbo are possibilities. Makuba, Andrew Makuba, the young man from Clemson, uh, could be the nickel for next year. He played two years and started, uh, he started two years at nickel for Clemson. That might be the next guy up. 
Texas still also looking for another defensive back uh, from the portal right now. They they lose a lot at safety in particular for this year. That could be another situation uh, that they look at. A couple of the news and notes that have come through. Holman Wiggins, the former wide receivers coach at Alabama, uh, just took the job at Texas A&M. According to Texags, it's the wide receiver uh, coach for Alabama. He goes to Texas A&M. Uh, at one point, Sark looked at him as a possibility uh, for his wide receiver's job, but did not go in that direction. Uh, Wiggins, uh, a, been with uh, Nick Saban for five years, I believe, since 2019. Sorry about that. We got one other super chat that we need to get to. This one from Justin Yarbrough. Thank you, Justin. And he says, a lot of people are being very critical of Sark. What do y'all think he learned from this season? And will things improve as he's done the past three seasons? I like how Sark has grown with his time at Texas. Yeah, I agree. I think that a lot of people are critical of any coach at the University of Texas. You can win 56 to nothing at Texas, and somebody will be saying, why didn't this guy get more reps in the fourth quarter, coach? I mean, that, that's that's the way. I mean, so, look, the, the head coach at the University of Texas has to have thick skin um, or be able to act like he does at the very least, right? Um, and so I, I feel strongly that that's just that comes with with the territory. Um, I, I don't know uh, if I would sit here and say uh, that uh, Sark needs to necessarily improve or things he can improve on. I, I go back to last night. I think they need to go back to work in the red zone with Quinn Ewers. Mm -hmm. um, two trips in the red zone in the last two and a half minutes of the game uh, in Texas. Uh, you know, Rod, Texas only. Uh, scores, or excuse me, only scores three points in two trips to the red zone. Uh, now, they had to throw the ball there, so it took away half your offense. But if I had to say something, they need to go back to red zone uh, next year. I think Sark does a great job of self-evaluation. He's improved every year as a head coach at the University of Texas. I think he's going to improve again next year. He may not have as good a team next year, right? But I think he's got... He's directionally smart about what he's trying to be as a coach. Yeah. That's, I, I see him improving each and every year. He has so far. He's not – I don't think he, think he sees himself as a finished product. Some coaches have that hubris that they're a finished product once they get that head job. Sark's proven that he's actually willing to learn and, and take it and go further, in my opinion. Yep, totally agree. He, um, he takes the man-in-the-mirror moment seriously. All right, well, you got to do the self-evaluation. Um, and, and coaches always say you get what you emphasize. And think about you know, what I always say is coaches are problem solvers. You just got to solve the problem. And Sark, he's, he's, he seeks to solve the problems in the offseason. And he does it through kind of honest self-evaluation but and strong emphasis, right? So what do you emphasize this past offseason uh, in that locker room? Closing, right? The fourth quarter how they finish. We got to finish better. And and a lot of and a lot of their even strategy was built around that. We complained about the rotations on defense and rotating a lot of guys. Sark has even said one of the reasons they do that is so they can be fresher in the fourth quarter so they can close better and the, the guys will be in a better position to make plays. Um he's talked about, you know, having the, that mentality to finish. So you get what you emphasize. This team is a better fourth quarter team because he emphasized it over and over and over again. Uh defensively, they did the same thing, right? Defensively, they emphasize being a better situational defense, third down defense, 
red zone defense. Uh, they want to be better situationally, and they are. One, two, they're one of the better uh, red zone and third down defenses in the country, top five and top ten. So I do think that's a big part of it. Coaches having the, the self-evaluation, um, being able to self-scout, figure out what you're good at, what you're bad at, and then being able to solve that problem in the offseason. Sark has already proven he can do that. The reason people are being hard on Sark, and I think it's unfair, Sark has proven he's a – my big thing was can he make adjustments within the game, win the chess match within the game after the battle of game planning preparation? He's already proven that he can do that to a high level, to an elite level this past season. So one game is not going to be an indictment on what Sark has accomplished so far this season. But the Kim Kardashian, Nicki Minaj, Serena Williams, size, Cardi B size, Megan the Stallion size, but I do think there was room for growth there for Sark. You know, last season in the Alamo Bowl, um, the broadcasters remarked they talked to the defensive coordinator, Washington, and he said Sark didn't have the patience to march down the field. This is last year's Alamo Bowl, to march down the field with the short underneath passing game. And at one point, he'd get impatient, take a deep shot. They defend that, put them behind the chains, and then the offense is out of rhythm. And he was right about that. I think doubling down on that because there's a lot of familiarity with these staff. So I did, they probably know some things. They tested Sark's impatience with the running game this time. They gave Texas the run game early on. And, and later on in the game, once they got up big, you had to abandon it. Once you're running back, started fumbling the damn football. I get why there's distrust, <laughs> right? Putting the game in their hands. I totally get all that. I get all that, right? But at one point in that game, right after the first quarter, you got enough of a sample size to know, okay, I need to pivot from the game plan, my 40-play script, whatever the hell that was. Can we talk about that at one point? Mm -hmm. um, I got to pivot from that because I got the sample size, and I'm averaging more yards per rush than I am yards per attempt. And they're giving me the light boxes. They're giving us the run. Um, and Texas ran a lot of RPOs, and that's why they had it, because they were giving them a, the, the numbers advantage in the run game. Texas took it. And when you're averaging, you know, those kind of numbers in the run game and you're doing it with a pony package, just, just take the pony package, for example, which I complained about it forever uh, yesterday, but I've been talking about it for two years. They, they came out in that second drive, scored a touchdown, run the pony package, averaging 10 yards per play in seven plays. You know how many plays they ran the pony package for the rest of the game? Two. Yeah. Two. They averaged over 10 yards per play in it. Hey, you know what? At one point, Sark, play the hits. Play the hits. It's working. Just play the hits, man. I get. I guess Sark hates leftovers because he always wants something to be fresh and new. Like, play the <laughs> hits, man. Do you, do you not like watching reruns of Seinfeld and everybody loves Raymond in the office? You got Everything's got to be brand new to you? Damn it, man. Play the hits. It was working. And he did not. He went away from it. Like, ah, that's in the script. That was fresh. Now I'm moving on to something new. No. No. Your feel of the game was a little off. And I'll give you my numbers. In, in, this is this is first half alone. So before before the two-minute drives, I didn't even include the two-minute drive in the first half. First half alone, all right, when that game is still tight, you, are, you ain't down double digits, so you ain't got no reason to abandon the running games. The running backs haven't started fumbling the football yet. You were averaging just between traditional handoffs to the running back, you were averaging eight, over eight yards per rush. In that first half, hell, throughout the game, you still average six over six yards per rush uh, throughout the game, <laughs> running the football with traditional run game. I'm talking about just handoffs to the running back, and yet, averaging averaging over six yards per rush throughout the game, you lost time of possession. It was so it was so lopsided, and yet, think about this: you're averaging six yards per rush, and yet you end up in third and long over fifty percent of your third downs. How? 
Pre-snap penalties. Because you were That's throwing the sure. football. Sorry, if you would have been uh, running okay. the football, you wouldn't have had as many. Sark, Sark <laughs> talked about this in the post-grain presser, Rod. He, he said that there are he, he wanted to go back to the run game, and he would get second and five, and then it would go back and be second and ten again. He mentioned that a couple different times that it happened when he is it was expressly trying to get back to the run game and they had that pre, they had a couple of pre-snap penalties. So I, I agree with you overall though. Like in that sec but but if you think about this another thing that I was talking to someone inside the building today they thought they were going back to the run in the third quarter. Well the first run they had first play fumble. Yeah, the next series they were trying to mix it up etc didn't get a first down really the, they didn't they only ran five plays in the third quarter. Yeah. So when he wanted to go back to the run, by that time he was down by 13. And then they fumbled again. We tried to go yeah. back to it at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I know why he abandoned it. I get it. I'm saying yeah. there was a small window. There was a yeah, small window in the first half. Quarter. Exactly. Where yeah. he could have played keep away. And that was the, the importance of this was complimentary football, which Sark's always talking about. You want to play keep away to hell with your game plan and to hell with you actually trying to put together a high powered offensive score. Your defense was getting shredded. You were watching that and you had to go, man, how do I keep that off? I want Michael Penix on the bench. How do I do that? Long sustained drives. Well, I can't do it passing the football because it's not working, but I'm, I'm hitting them in chunks in the running game, especially out of two tailback sets. Why don't we go back to it? Never did it. That didn't. I don't. He, he Somebody's got to ask him about that. Like you went to the nobody asked about dude. You went to the you went to a two tailback set, averaged over 10 yards per play, scored, running the football down their throats, and then never went back to it. That's very it didn't end up what with 51, basically 50 over 50 pass attempts in the game, ultimately, because Quinn I, I count Quinn scrambles in that too, because there were no design runs for Quinn. Those are scrambles. That's a lot. I, I think I think Sark lost his way in the second quarter. And then it's not his fault, but the third quarter, it didn't go the way he planned. But as a coach in a game like this, you don't get other opportunities to make those adjustments. Once you miss out on that chess move, it's over. They already got you. Uh, uh, uh. They moving. It's a chess match, baby. You miss that move and you go, probably should have ran a little bit more in that one. And you limit their possessions and therefore their offense is out of rhythm. I, I think that was a moment there. Um, it was a moment there, I think, potentially. All right, guys. We got a, a super chat here from Jeff Carey, and he said, Rod's analysis is spot on. Play keep away. Wear them down. So, and then one other one, too, that just came in. Sorry, my apologies. Uh, Ambassador of Texas says, no need to stop running after the fumble. Second one was a fluke. After a guy fumbles, he is more conscious of ball security. Not a pattern this year. That's true. Not it was not a pattern. The, the, the running backs did a good job hanging on the ball overall. Yeah. Hey, Bobby, one thing I wanted to bring up here, and you posted this on the uh, On Texas Football Community page about four or five days ago. You asked, who will be a slightly under-the-radar player that shines against Washington? The options were Jaden mm -hmm. Blue, C.J. Baxter, Gunnar Helm, Terrence Brooks, and Michael Taft. Blue was the favorite there with 48%. I'd say he. I'd say the, the crowd was right. <laughs> That's what I would say. Yeah. Um, of, of the group last night, I would say that he's the one that probably showed the most. Right. Yeah. Um, the catch in the fourth quarter was unbelievable. He, his speed, Rod, mm. is is under under of undervalued. 
I think I think that's and he's not easy to bring down. I'm not saying he's the mm-hmm. hardest to tackle, but he's not easy to bring down, right? And you match that with his speed, and you may have a little something. Yeah, uh, Keelan Robinson is speed and easy to bring down, right? You guys, yes. wanna, yeah, you're, you, gotta, you get my point. Yeah, yeah, you show to check him, and you might have him. You yeah. better come in there and wrap wrap it up with Jaden Blue. If you're not, then he's gonna break that tackle. I'm with you, and the the same uh, company, Real Analytics who uh, declared Xavier Worthy the fastest guy in college football because they tracked him uh, during the game. Uh, I forget what the actual uh, miles per hour was, but they they tracked Jaden Blue as the fastest running back in college football based on their real-time data. So he's got he's got next-level speed. Uh, I'm with you. And he was returning kicks, I thought, at one point in the game, and then they stopped putting him back there maybe because they – they thought they'd wear out the running backs. Maybe they had a different plan for them. They didn't want them doing too much. And we even just saw C.J. Baxter get dinged up, so it could have been that. And, yeah, I'm with you. I don't know why Keelan was out there. I don't know why Keelan Robinson was out there returning returning kicks with a cast on his own. I have no idea. I don't – I this is, this is a great coaching staff. Jeff Banks is a hell of a coach. Hey, just because you're a hell of a coach don't mean you can't make some bad decisions. Look at what Kalen DeBoer did at the, at the end of that damn game. I mean, Kalen DeBoer made like three just – just stupefying mistakes at the end of the game. You're thinking, what, what, why did the coach of the year do I mean, this? What? Everybody wants to anoint Kalen DeBoer as the next great coach, and he <laughs> may well be. He almost coached himself out of the <laughs> national championship. I mean, <laughs> it wasn't quite Mario Cristobal trying to get a guy 100 yards rushing in a game, but it was close. I was happy about it, but it was cringeworthy if you were just a football fan. You're like, what is he doing? Why don't you just kneel the football? Why do you why are you doing this? Why are you handing off the ball and it came back to bite them? I'm saying the football guys, they will listen, they will punish you for, for bad football decisions. You will be punished. And Kevin DeBoer, he, he he got he learned his lesson. Probably should just kneel that football. I don't know why I was handing it off. He handed it off and might have gotten Dylan Johnson hurt. He yeah, might have yes. gotten his running back hurt for the national title game. You know, I I you had uh, and I talked about this in the watch with us last night. I had a sense that Washington was driving and doing to Texas what Texas did to Alabama at the end of that game mm-hmm. in, in uh, Tuscaloosa, where they were playing keep away. They did the same thing. Washington did the same thing. They iced the game against Oregon late by running the football, running for a first down. Yeah. Well, Texas has a better defensive front than Oregon. They weren't going to be able to run the ball against Texas. Uh, I think DeBoer had visions of – Running the running the clock out, an emphatic win, you know, an exclamation point, and what he almost got was a nightmare, you know, a nightmare on Bourbon Street or whatever you want to yeah. call it. <laughs> that, that was uh, that that was a uh, just peculiar. It, I, I can tell you this much: if that would have been Steve Sarkeesian, ooh, I mean, y'all are talking about oh, he, Steve Sark didn't call enough Sark didn't call enough runs. Can you imagine if that was Steve Sarkeesian that did that? And almost cost his team a chance at a national championship. I mean, yeah. that, that that would be brutal. Yeah, that would be brutal. But, he, but they won, so oh, it's okay. You know, <laughs> <laughs> we're in the national championship. You know, so exactly. No coach is perfect. No coach is perfect. I don't think he saw that Miami game a, a while. <laughs> oh, <laughs> brutal. Or if he did, he didn't learn from it. That's for sure. <laughs> All right, so we got a, a super chat from Jeff Carey. He says, "What is this sixty strip <laughs> crap? Was it sixty or forty? It's forty, Bobby. 
You've been around football a long time, man. When was the last time you heard about a script that was more than 20 plays? I think I've heard 25. I've never heard okay. I've never. Okay, this is new, though, because when he first got here, it was 20. We know yeah. this because he said it. So he's in the last three years, he's gone from 20 to 40. Why? Let's try to psychoanalyze Sark here. Why? I think Sark, honestly, I think he t- <laughs> I jokingly think he took the criticism of a, of a lot of Longwood fans who were mocking him, that his scripts were so damn good. And if your scripts are so good that you're getting up by 20-something points, why not just expand the script? <laughs> I think I really do think uh, Steve Sarkisian went to the simplest solution potentially. Like, you know what? I'm going to expand this day. I'm going to double it. If my script is that good, I'm going to double this damn thing and see if it's even better. I don't know if it's better, but at least I think that's the rationale. That's the thought process. <laughs> hey, let me ask you this, Rod. And, and um, as, as it relates to that, uh, and Sark going off script so long, it, is that why maybe, uh, and, and as it relates to the pony package, right? Because we would have mm-hmm. liked to see more two running back sets. It was clearly the most effective set of the night and most of the season. Is it possible? We didn't see much variety at all in the pony package, by the way, all year. No. We saw yeah. Is it possible that they went into the year and really only had like 10 to 12 plays in that package? and never really expanded on it. And that's why he didn't use it over and over and over again. Like That like, is possible. Like, instead of just having, like, his three wide receivers, he may have 25, 30 plays out of, right? Yeah. But that, that two running back package, he may only have 10 to 12 plays in the playbook. And so the, the variety is just not there. And you can't maybe window dress it the same. You could. My The devil's advocate for me would be, when he was in Atlanta following Kyle Shanahan, that's when he first started running, at least from what I've seen, a lot of the two tailback sets. He was doing it to transition Shanahan's 21, um, 21 personnel offense, two backs, one tight end with the traditional fullback um, transition that offense because they had so many of those pieces to being his offense. But he did it by running a pony package, still 21 personnel, so you can keep some of the same concepts and the same philosophy. But he did it with two tailbacks. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, it was uh, Tevin Coleman, uh, maybe maybe Devontae Freeman, if I'm not mistaken. I could I could be off about that, but that was the point of him doing it. So he had some of the Shanahan concepts, some of the old school West Coast. But most people don't even know old school West Coast offense is a 21 personnel offense right? with an old school fullback. Uh, actually, so is the traditional um, uh, air raid before Mike Leach turned it into a 10 personnel offense actually was a two back set. But anyway, I digress. And then Sark, of course, he comes to Texas. Fast forward, he gets Bijan and Rojo. He brings in Brendan Marion. Brendan Marion runs the go-go offense. Specifically, the go-go offense is a two-tailback offense with a triple option run game and a West Coast passing game. And he and he and Sark were able to combine the concepts because they're both West Coast passing offenses. So they immediately can synchronize concepts right there, and then they can meet. Uh, on the kind of triple option run plays and all those different types of concepts. So you had Brandon Marion for a year. His whole offense is two tailback sets. So between the time you spent in Atlanta following Chano, um, the time you had Bijan and Rojo, and you were utilizing some of the two tailback sets because that's your best position group and those, that's how you get your best players on the field, and having the go-go offense here, man, if he's only got a few plays, then that's that 
that's not good. That's, <laughs> you had a lot of time to kind of build up that, you know, your, your repertoire plays. So I think he's actually got a pretty deep, um, I think he's got a, probably a pretty, uh, you know, kind of deep uh, re- repertoire plays for two tailback sets. A, a deep, but is it enough? To carry him a whole game? No, no, not not in. Now he doesn't have an inventory like that, but he's got yeah. an inventory for more than nine snaps of it when okay. it's when it's averaging ten no, no, no. yards per play. I get you. I, I just think that that he wasn't expecting. I don't think he was expecting it to be as successful. Maybe. Um, I think he may. I think they may not have as many plays in the book with that. That's all. That's what I'm saying. Like, people are saying, "Oh, well, they're running it so well. They're running it so well." Well, if that's all you're doing is running that. And then it comes to the fourth quarter and you got to do something different because the other teams finally start stopping it because they recognize the plays. Then where do you end up? No, that's true. And I'm not I'm not I'm not saying he should be, you know, uh, gratuitous. Right. In right. His use of it. Um, but I do think there should be more of it, period. And I've been talking about that for a while. And I'll also throw this out there. You know, uh, you know, for Sark. And I, I agree with everything you're saying about you got kind of overuse. You can't just use one. Uh, staple the entire game but this is we're mocking the 40 play script but i do think if he does have a 40 play script and they say he's trying to stick to it this goes back to what i said about playing the hits when something works man i mean you got to know when to pivot when it seems pretty obvious that something is working you got to know when to pivot and sometimes your script you may be banging your head up against a brick wall because your script anticipated something that's not there but you were troubleshooting with that script and then you found a weakness and found a vulnerability i thought that's what the script originally was for initially a lot of the script was to troubleshoot how they're trying to attack you how they're trying to defend you how they're trying to exploit you and then once you figure out the defense at least you kind of figure out the rules of the defense then you can violate them and that's that's kind of what I thought the script was for. The 40-play script leads me to believe that Sark isn't – he isn't necessarily free to, to pivot. He's free to do it, but he doesn't feel confident pivoting real time and making that adjustment, matching wits with the opposing coach. Sometimes you don't play the hand, you play the man. And I think Washington, when they play Sark, they play the man. And what they know about Sark is the same thing we know about Sark. All right? It's in his nature. Sark wants to throw. Sark wants to throw the ball, and he wants to throw it downfield. And Sark wants spectacular plays. He wants to bring the crowd to their feet. He don't necessarily want to run the ball. He don't like boring offenses. He wants something spectacular. He wants something eye-popping. And I think they use that against him. Don't play the hand because you ain't got a better hand in Texas. What you can do is play the man. And I think they did that last season when they said openly, basically, that he didn't have the patience to march down the field with the short of the passing game. 12, 15 plays, that ain't Sark's nature. Sark wants to chunk that ball. He's going to do it at one point. We just got to defend it. They did it this time with the run game. They said, hey, we'll give you the run game. Will you take it? Will you march down the field handing the football off on 10 straight plays? That's Big Ten football. That's Michigan football. That ain't Sark football. What's Sark football? High flying, baby. It's Cirque du Soleil. High flying. We're throwing the football downfield. Well, what if we defend the, the weapons downfield and give you the run game? Which they did, and Sark didn't really want to take it. He still wanted that passing game. He forced it. He did. And, and I'm not saying that that was the right move. Even I thought you should pass to open up the running game. But once you realize what the defense is giving you, take it. And I think the 40-play script keeps him from being flexible enough to pivot and make that move. And this is why Sark still has growing to do. He's, 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 he's proven he's a great coach, and I love what he did this year, and I love the evolution. But he's still got some growing to do in terms of the, the, the chess match within the game and being able to win the battle of adjustments. 
time after time. And I, and I, I think he's done that, obviously, most of this season. Not in this game, though. In this game, he didn't win the battle of adjustments. And I'm not sure he won the battle of game plan and preparation either. Play the man, not the hand. You like that one, Blake? I like I do. it. I do. I, I, I do. think it's a good idea of what, what's, what Rod's talking about. I will say I've never thought of putting the word Cirque du Soleil into a conversation about football, but hey, you <laughs> learn a million, baby. Hey, uh, I will. I one one thought and get your feedback on this, Rod. You mentioned that short passing game that he was unwilling to do that. It felt like he was actually very willing to do that last night, but the ball kept getting patted, uh, batted down. Yeah. Yep. You know, it, it seemed like Sark was okay with some of that. He was going to do it. And Quinn was going with that low arm angle and got some balls batted. We haven't seen that, right? Why haven't we seen that? I mean, Sark loves the RPO. Quinn's been throwing at that, you know, kind it of almost, off angle. It almost looked like they were running into the RPO lanes. Mm hmm. They're linebackers. I think you're right, I think you're right. I think you own the song because it was it was like five of them, and there's someone who early on in the game. Yeah. They seemed like either they were either they were looking at the eyes of Quinn Ewers early on and tracking it that way, and not even nearly necessarily. And they were close to him too. So I've, I've got an idea. I've got an idea. There was one guy rushing, and the other 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 four were just trying to bat the ball down because one guy had eight pressures. The rest. Of the <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're right, bro. I mean, seriously, we've got one guy that we know can get to the quarterback at will. Yep. The rest of y'all get your hands up. If you can't yeah, get home, get your hands up. The rest of y'all get your hands up. Hands up. <laughs> you're right. You're right, though. Uh, I, I thought that I thought Sark's game plan was okay. I thought it, the execution just. Was lacking. Oh, I it, it, honestly, Bobby, I, I'm not criticizing the game plan because it was the game plan that I wanted. Early down passes. Uh, he started with the RPO game early on and throwing on early downs, pass to open up the run, trying to get Quinn Ewers in a groove and in a rhythm, coming off his best game ever. And when Quinn plays well, the offense is just unstoppable. It seems. And I think I think Sark had that mentality. I think that was his goal. And you put, you, you hit the nail on the head, Bobby. The execution was bad. And that's when I need Sark's feel of the game to be a little bit better. When you recognize like, damn, pass the game ain't working. Quinn ain't really working today either. Okay. All right. What's working? And then you just kind of, not you don't throw out the script. You still keep the script because you research it. There's a lot of great nuggets on there for how to exploit the opposing team. But at one point after the first quarter, what's working? What's working for you? And then I think if you go to the point of what's working for you, it would have been simple, man. Like, all right, we're going to run the damn ball. And we're going to run it in with a variety of ways. And when they adjust, because they're going to have to, unless they want us to just gut them in the run game. And by the way, this team, was the, they missed the third most tackles in the Power Five. They were not a great tackling team. All throughout the season, they missed the third most tackles out of any team in the Power Five. Texas could have easily forced them to miss a lot of tackles on the perimeter. And then they would have adjusted putting eight. They put more guys in the box. And when they do that, that's when things would have opened up with Texas and you would have played keep away with some long drives. But, I mean, I don't know if the game would have worked out that way, but I think that would have been a better approach than what Texas did was try to continue with the game plan initially, which it was it was flawed. And I exit. That's the one I researched too. And my research told me early down pass rate. That's where you should go. It was, it, it didn't work. And sometimes you got to be able to throw out the game plan. Baby, I remember Carl Burris many a times. Maybe that's an indictment on him as a defensive coordinator. We research a, 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 a team all week long. We do the game plan preparation, put in the install. And after three drives, Carl Burris will go, 
throw out the game plan. All right, gentlemen, this is what we're going to do. All right, we obviously got it wrong. This is what we got going. And it's like, okay, so all the week, all the preparation, we just going to freestyle this thing? you damn right we're going to freestyle it because if we keep going this direction, we're going to get beat. And that's what you got to do as a coach, man. Go solve the problem. Don't overthink it. Football is a simple game complicated by simple men. Just go. It ain't, it ain't, your guys are better. They're bigger. They can run the ball. And I think Sark overcomplicated it in that moment. I got McCoy rally while we're talking about Quinn just a second ago. Does Quinn have a fastball throw? It feels like all his throws are touch throws. I think he's got one. I don't think he has one in the red zone. That, that could have come in handy. I was talking to Brian Irwin today, Rod. And he, he said, in his opinion, uh, if that ball was thrown to the pylon back shoulder instead of uh, a, a jump ball to mm-hmm. A.D. Mitchell or kind of a, uh, you know, he thinks that that's, that Texas wins that game. But that, I don't know of a single time that Texas has thrown that all year. Has Quinn thrown a ball back shoulder to the pylon all year? I can't remember one. That's a great I, – I can't remember one this season. I I can't, and I'm not saying that, but I can't remember one. I watch a lot of Texas football, and so do you. They were in off coverage. Yeah, I mean they were in off leverage, three inside leverage. Yeah, they were inside and off. You're right. Dan Orlovsky said it too. Uh, Dan Orlovsky did a breakdown on the uh, semifinals, and he said the same thing. He had the same remark. He said back shoulder fade was wide open on that play. Uh, Quarterbacks got to make that adjustment. I don't know. I don't know how that works. Right. I don't know if that's a sight adjustment by. Quinn and the receiver, if they have the freedom, um, you know, to, 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 to change it, the routes like that, I imagine they do. I imagine that quarterback and wide receiver can pretty much, you know, kind of deconstruct a, a play the way they want to, as long as you get the touchdown, I don't think coach cares. So um, yeah, I, I, I don't know what the route was. I'm sure they were trying to get it. It looks like they were trying to get it to back pylon over the shoulder, kind of the old school fade, which by the way, just so you know, statistically that is, the worst success rate throw in the red zone. If you look at success rates on routes in the red zone, if you look at just uh, completion percentage, efficiency numbers on routes in the red zone, the the fade, the old school fade is the worst. It's has the lowest efficiency numbers. It's the toughest to complete unless you got an, an AD Mitchell or you got a guy that turns a 50-50 ball into a 80-20 ball. Calvin Johnson is the greatest uh, fade uh, jump ball fade receiver on uh, the red zone in the history of the NFL based on the numbers, but but it makes sense, right? Look at that guy, he's six or five, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, and jumps out of the gym, yeah, uh, no doubt. All right, guys, we got another super chat here. This one from Kabir. Hang, thank you, Kabir. He says, Should we have gone for two on our last touchdown to make it a five point game instead of six? Could have been one possession game after their field goal. Yeah, that's a no, um, because by a seven wins the game. Yeah. So that's that's why you don't do that. You don't, you don't, you're not searching that hard for points. You want to keep it to where seven wins the game. And if you would have missed that two-point conversion, then a touchdown only ties it instead of wins it for you. You had to get a stop. Texas yep. had to get a stop regardless, whether it was one stop or two. It or whether it was two stops or not, it didn't matter. They were going to have to get a stop of some sort. All right, y'all, this next question here is a two-parter, so bear with me, from Sharon. And Sharon asked, 
I heard people talking about Texas needing to be a run-heavy team next year. What do you think? With Baxter and Gibson being physical running backs and Blue as your speedster third down back, it makes sense for me to see Texas run much more than they do now. Mm, that is interesting. Yeah. What about Jay Brooks? And the offensive line, most of them will be back. That's good. Um <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Let's let's see what they do in the portal at receiver. Let's see if they get another another A receiver. You know what I mean? I, I think that. And and to Rod's point, Sark wants to throw. He wants to be 50-50. He does. So I, I don't. I don't see it'll be. They may lean on the running game a little bit more. Um, but I, I don't know that they're ever going to go completely be a run run dominated team. Yeah, it's hard to recruit five-star quarterbacks when you want to be a run-dominated team and recruit those elite wide receivers when you want to be a run-dominated team. It's hard to do that. You can do it, but it's tough in terms of a sales pitch. So it's in Sark's nature. Uh, we've been talking about that. He likes to throw. He wants to throw early. I think he wants to open up games with the passing game and close games out with the running game and his big humans uh, and, and kind of force teams into submission. So I, they could I, they could change their running identity. Um, run with, you know, like I said, more two tailback sets, do some other things, add some more variety. Uh, but I think Sark's always going to want to throw the football. And I think when he gets another quarterback in there, other than Quinn, he's going to want to throw it deep. Remember, that's what he wanted to do initially was throw it vertically downfield. He stopped that. He curtailed it because he's a good coach. And he evolved and realized it was doing more harm than good. But I think when he gets another quarterback in there, you're going to see them deep shots go back up too. Because that's what Sark is a – he even told us that's a crucial element of his offense. He's actually missing one of the most crucial elements of his offense. Because Texas isn't great. How many deep shots they had in the in the, in the semifinal versus Washington? Like two or three? Um, do you do you include blue down the sideline as a deep yeah, shot? Yeah, I guess you include that. Yeah, so yeah, so maybe three or maybe three or four then. One what was the inside ball to um, Worthy that he couldn't see. That was uh, that one. The one he caught. The deep one he caught. Blue dropped the pass, and then I'd say Jordan Whittington's was a deep ball. That was a deep ball. So you had five, I think, yeah. something like that. Um, but then my, the, the 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 Jordan Whittington one, you know, obviously coming late in the game. Um, but I think if you just look at Sark's offense now, it doesn't necessarily have that as a crucial element of it. Um, and I think he wants that to be a big a bigger part of it. Um, so that's just in Sark's what he likes to do. I agree. Whittington's was out of necessity almost, right? To your point. Yeah, it was, I love that play. They should have ran more empty. That was out of empty formation. I told y'all they, the empty formation is what they did last season, and it was highly successful. And uh, turns out that is something that Washington defense is just susceptible to. Uh, they should have ran more empty formation, man. They had a lot of big explosive plays out of empty. I think they had three explosive passes out of empty formation in that game. Y'all, this next question, and Rod, you mentioned Brooks right off the bat. Yawn wants to know, how would carries be split if Brooks did indeed come back? Oh, damn. That's a nice, that's a sexy running back room right there. That <laughs> yeah, really is. Yeah. They might, I mean, they would be the best running back room in the country again. <clears throat> that's establishing a true culture right there. That would be like four of the last five years, Texas had the best running back room in the country. <laughs> that's that's wow. That would that would really be crazy, man. And multiple coaches uh, throughout that, you know, that run as well. NFL draft picks. That's a pipeline that the culture of your your team started in that running back room. Oh, man, that would be great. But Jay Brooks got to do what's best for Jay Brooks. Um, if he comes back, though, 
I, they better run that two tailback set. They better run that my pony, they run that pony package, man. And they, they can play the genuine song, my pony. All right, in the stadium, whenever they run the pony package and they get a big play. All right, I ain't gonna sing it for y'all, but y'all go Google it. The genuine got a nice song. It'd be great in the stadium. There you go. Oh, man. All right. We'll do a couple more questions, guys, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, Bobby T.D. Brown says, does Texas extend Sark soon? I think Bama would come after him if Saban retires after the signing period is over. Um, so, based on my understanding, they are working on that. You know, so when the timing of it, that sort of stuff, I don't even know if anything's been agreed to yet, but they're certainly working on it, guys. Um, I, and I do think I think Bama would would like to probably talk to Sark. I think Bama would probably like to talk to Kalen DeBoer right now too. Um, so we'd have to see what they do. Yeah, hey, uh, yeah, definitely. Rick wants to know: <laughs> Campbell got beat badly on one of Trice's sacks. Is he proving to be a liability in pass protection? And would Hudson have been better that game? Man, I don't. I don't. I, it's hard for me to say because I haven't seen Cole Hudson play this this year that much, right? So you don't really know. Um, I, I would say that DJ Campbell is a is a liability in pass pro at times, but so was Christian Jones, right, last night. So they're not – none of these linemen are perfect. Kelvin Banks isn't perfect. He's really good. But they're going to get beat at times. I, I don't know that – Cole Hudson would have been the answer. I just, I don't know about that. And then this final one is more of a comment. Well, I guess it's a comment and question combined, but Hook'em Horn says it was a great season. We won the big 12, won 10 plus games. So we made the playoffs. So we have another top five recruiting class. We would have easily taken that back in August. Can we take a moment and allow ourselves to just be happy? I, I completely agree with this sentiment. I mean, I, I know how heartbreaking last night was. I watched it myself and y'all know I wear my heart on my sleeve a little bit. Um, I have, I, I completely agree here. Um, I, the thing with me um, that I think was different with this year is not just the success the team had, but I really believe that, you know, I saw this team galvanize a fan base too. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, Steve Sarkeesian did that as well right they the texas fans right now feel like they have a team that they like and a coach that they like yep when's the last time y'all been able to say that i mean after mac turned on greg davis and those coaches not everybody really liked mac that much anymore there's a little a split factor in like 2011 right mm -hmm. when when he was Thought thought to be possibly retiring, and they were going to get Saban. Yep. That that you know chipped off about ten to fifteen percent of the fans, mm -hmm. right? I think somebody talked about all the BBs going back in the box. I think that was you, Rod. Mm -hmm. um, that's where it's at. Is that you get all of those pieces start going in direction? Someone just mentioned Chris Del Conte. That's big. Hartzell, Kevin Altai. Yep. All of that together. That's why. I mean, we were calling, we were at the Mannings yesterday and it was like a, it's like a tent revival. Mm -hmm. It felt like, you know what I mean? It felt like we were, you know, all we needed were like, I don't know, 
200 Gideon's Bibles and everything was going to be, you know, 10 hallelujahs. Yeah, yeah, I am serious. It was like, yeah. it was how it was. And I think it's because Texas fans are, they're genuine football fans, first of all, and appreciate good football, mm -hmm. right? And they were appreciating this team and being, like I, like I said, a little, little bit of a revival. I love that. Well, that great message. We'll close with this. Miguel says, this season prepared Texans for the SEC. They will be ready and will be a force to reckon with, no doubt. Do you all agree with that? It Did did it prepare Texas for the SEC? We need a pass rusher still. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And and you need and you need your and you need another year to start seasoning for them young DBs. Yeah. Right, you get ready. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think Texas is ready for the SEC though. I mean, Texas got that kind of talent. The SEC is changing and morphing. Sark got Texas ready for the SEC when he started recruiting lines of scrimmage. And yep. Texas skill talent-wise, Texas has always been, you know, in the same ballpark with the SEC, in my opinion. Um, but lines of scrimmage, they have not. Now, lines of scrimmage-wise, even though, you know, obviously last night it didn't work out the way Lohan fans thought, lines of scrimmage-wise, you are in the SEC realm. The, your SEC, you're at the SEC talent level. That's why they're ready, or they will be ready. All right, y'all. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Longhorn live stream right here on On Texas Football. We want to thank all of you for tuning in. Thank you for the super chats. And uh, Bobby, myself, and CJ will be back tomorrow morning for coffee and football. So be sure to tune in for that. And for Ron Favors and Bobby Burton, I'm Blake Monroe, and we'll see you then. Thanks for stepping in tonight, Blake. Appreciate no you. No problem. Thanks, Blake. Welcome. <laughs>